Carroll bringing it forward. Thompson's making the run. Carroll hangs on to it though. Still Davy Carroll. Could go all the way here. Oh, what a goal! Season's greetings and welcome to this week's episode of Ringing the Blues, the official Wickham Wanderers podcast. On this week's show, we have all the action and reaction from the game against Bristol Rovers at Adams Park on Boxing Day, including the opposition view. We speak to author Daniel Gray about his latest book on the beautiful game. Plus, we track down Chuck Musadick, so we speak to him about his glorious spell at Adams Park in the 90s, including those London fiver sides. But first, let's head to VPN to speak to Uri for some essential Chapel is French. We are ringing the blues from Mexico City. It's me, Uri, and here are the results for League One. Accrington Stanley 1, Barnsley 1, Burton Albion 3, Lincoln City 0, Cambridge United 2, Shrewsbury Town 1, Charlton Athletic 1, Peterborough United 1, Cheltenham Town 0, Plymouth Argyle 1, Exeter City 0, Portsmouth 0, Fleetwood Town 1, Sheffield Wednesday 2, Ipswich Town 3, Oxford United 0, MK Dons 1, Forest Green Rovers 0, Port Vale 1, Morecambe 0, Wickham Wanderers 2, Bristol Rovers 1. Oh, as you know, Bristol Rovers manager Joey Barton says that our pitch is very nice. So, merci, Joey. Oh, our pitch is very nice. Uh, Chervo is Spanish, said Simon. Uh, okay. Um, on the, our pitch, nuestra cancha. Pitch, cancha, cancha. Our pitch, nuestra cancha. Very nice. Muy bonita, muy chida, very nice. Nuestra cancha está muy chida. Thank you, merci Joey Barton, and until la prochaine semaine. Eh, eh, retour au Londres eh, avec mon ami Phil Catchpool. A bientôt. Trey Bien Uri, many thanks. Right then, Bristol Rovers rolled into town on Boxing Day. Jasper Pattenden joined us on Wanderers TV for the commentary, and here's what happened. Ball down the channel, it's a really good ball now into the box, finds Marquis. Ball cut back and it's cut to by Coburn and Bristol Rovers have the lead. And Street goes long towards Vokes, Vokes with the flick on. Finds McCleary, he's just coming off that right-hand side. McCleary now, has got Mametti on the left. Mametti, it's a wheeler! Yes! Wickham Wanderers against the run of play. Have equalised here, it was a brilliant move. Folks to head down to McCleary. McCleary to Mametti. Slide rule pass. And in slid David Wheeler into the roof of the net. Wickham one, Bristol one. Fantastic, yeah. Completely against the run of play, you have to be honest. But a goal's a goal, we'll take it anywhere we can. Just one thing I want to point out is the weight of pass from Gareth McCleary. As he rolls it into Anis Mimetti, it's fantastic. Quite often you see he gives it to feet, but he allows, he allows Anis to come onto it first time. As he rolls it into the space, Anis comes onto it. And David Wheeler, as he always did, is the most determined man on the pitch to prod the ball home to give us the equaliser. Get in there. Ball down the line is a cutout again by Abita. First time clipped clearance towards Scoen. Evans heads the ball back and Scoen gets after it himself and then wins it. And releases Mometti on that left-hand side. Mometti, corner of the penalty area. And it's Mometti still going, goes for goal. Beating away, deflection, wing! Yes, it's there! It's a goal! The linesman has given it! Lewis Wing has got his goal! And Anis Sabeti, the architect, the keeper, made a brilliant save. But the second ball allowed Lewis Wing to pick his spot. And I think he slammed it into the face of Josh Scoen, which was fortunately a yard behind the goal line. Yeah, thank goodness for that. Goodness me, Scoey in the goal. Takes a whack for his troubles, but he won't mind at all. But yeah, brilliant from Anis Mimetti. Listen, I thought uh, that 
Going a little bit more physical today would have been the answer against Bristol, having watched them. You know, very mobile, got a good side, play some real good flowing stuff and some pockets they pick up really well. So I wanted to go mobile in midfield, but then a bit bigger up front. That's why Volksy came in for Brandon. I'm sure there's a few eyebrows raised at that after Brandon's performance last week, but I think it, it, individual games on their merits what what it will take to win a game. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it was uh, it was proved right. You know, you never know. We might have won by more with Brandon in the in the game, but. Um, it's, uh, it's three points, that's what we came here for today and uh, and all the fans turned up, got behind us in a real good way. Um, Christmas time has been difficult over the years, for us. we looked at our results recently and uh, and so that's a great start to the Christmas period, you know, it's a crazy fixture list. Um, but no, Joey's got a good side there and I think they're going to be up there at the end of the season without a doubt, you know, be competing for these playoffs um, like ourselves, uh, so that's for me is a, is a good scalp. He switched it up a bit as well, especially the change of formation, I think. And Wickham started slowly. Was that as a result of uh, as a surprise from Joe Barton? <laughs> no, we we worked on a, on the new formation in midweek. Um, he's been uh, three at the back quite consistently this season, and he, he came with a four. We uh, we worked on that. We we thought it might be a four, um, but that front three. You know, he's very rotational. You know, I think um, some good players in that front three. You know, Colburn and, and Collins, um, sort of buzzing around uh, Marquis, who also was coming really short. So our centre halves had to be brave today and step out and, and really, you know, step in with them into midfield at times and be narrow as fullbacks. That's what we worked on this week. And uh, and then when we had the chance, um, I thought Voxy would have caused some problems, and the first goal proved that. Uh, and I think. Um, you know, it was, a, it was always a threat that he was going to win a flick and get somebody in behind. And sometimes, you know, that's that's the way to play. And, and we played that way and we got the three points. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's tough because um, you work on things during the week and there's always the curve balls that come in, you know. Um, but, you know, moments like putting Curtis Thompson on 75 minutes, it means that this club's in good a good place. And uh, and we've got this squad for the second half of the season coming through, coming strong. Dominic Gabe, Darrell Horgan, you know, Ali Ahmadi not even on, on the on the bench today. You know, so um, that, that speaks volumes about this place, and uh, and I'm really pleased with the results today. But um, I say it's only one game. We've got another one in three days, and then another one two days after that, and that's uh, that's going to be some some tough travelling. Um, Christmas period has been quite slim pickings over the years, um, so hopefully we can get the boys recovered to uh, to give us a good performance at Plymouth. You've alluded to it there with the Brandon Handler and Sam Vokes decision, but now with everybody fit, you've got some tough choices. Yeah, that's the way I want it. You know, I don't want easy choices. I don't want the, the days of just being able to put three on the bench or putting myself on the bench. They're well gone, you know. Um, the Kooigs have been brilliant, um, nothing short of brilliant for me, um, and backed me with everything I've, I've asked for, and uh, hopefully we can. Uh, we can pay them back with some uh, some good performances, some good results, some good finishing positions. Um, I've already had a text from Rob. He's uh, he said I made his Boxing Day, so that's nice. Um, hopefully, I can make his his 28th and his his first as well because uh, it'd be great to get um, maximum points. But I'm under no illusion that's two real tough away trips coming up now, and uh, we're going to get the boys firing on all cylinders to get anything out of those games. I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. You've moved into the top six. It might only be for 24 hours because there's another game tomorrow. Is that a big, big boost? It's huge, you know, it's huge. Especially a couple of months ago, people were probably questioning everything. Um, I'd seen my time here and uh, and we were on a bad run and everything, but um, safe to say that Wickham Wanderers are, are still alive and kicking. And uh, like I say, a bit of patience after the big, big names we've lost, the big staff members we've lost. Uh, this club's in a little bit of a transition period. Well, not anymore. I'm safely saying we've come out of that. Um, and we've got a real good squad, some real good names in there, and uh, really pleased when you got his, his goal as well. Real clever finish that was, you know. Um, and Josh going with his utmost to stop it on the line, but uh, it was uh, it was a brilliant finish. There was only one space he could have hit there. Um, <clears throat> and, and David Wheeler, I mean, at the moment playing out of his skin, you know, in these positions we keep we keep rotating him in and. Uh, no, I'm really pleased for all the boys today. It's uh, it's an awesome, awesome game, and uh, like I say, I consider that a big, big win because Bristol are decent. I was going to mention David Wheeler. Not only did he get his goal, but it was a fantastic performance as well. But he used to be the Swiss Army Penknife. I guess he still is, but he's had a settled role in this team in this run, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, Wheels is. is his physical attributes are brilliant for a footballer. You know, he can get up, win any header. He can match anyone for speed and fitness. And you know, his uh, his quality on the ball is he's getting better all the time. He's, he's chipping in with goals. Um, 
really pleased to have Wheels. He's a leader as well, you know, a quiet leader rather than the noisy shouter. He's a, he's a real good example, almost the, the Matt Bloomfield example, you know, of, of how to do it properly. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's really important for us, but I don't like doing individuals, you know that. Dave will be the first to say the rest of the team are, are there to back him. And, uh, and I thought that um, everyone played their part today, really, really did. And uh, I say, looking forward to Thursday. Uh, we've mentioned the transition there. Has it taken a bit of time for those characters to rise through? Uh, yeah, the, the the airspace, no disrespect to Bale, but the airspace was a little bit um, full and, and cramped. You know, Stockdale, Bale and Blooms, there's a lot of voices there. And and, uh, and I think it takes time for people to think, you know what, there's, there's space here you know, above and I can go and express myself because they were three big leaders, real big leaders. And they, they, they would say, come with me now. Once they've gone, who's who's leading now? You know, and, and I think people have slowly started to come to the fore. You know, I've got Gareth McCleary, ex-Premier League player, working his socks off out there in, in a formation and a system that, you know, you've got players like that doing it, Sam Volks, internationals. You can't do anything but follow, you know. Um, and this has come up with another great bit of genius assist-wise, you know, and, uh, and, and those moments are really important. Um, but I will say, I thought we defended superbly again. Really, really well. Second half, uh, stood up to everything that Bristol chucked at us and more. And um, the boys deserve that win because they scored more goals than Bristol today. And I say, um, we did go a little bit more direct, a little bit more physical, but that's what I thought would win the game today. Um, we've been playing sensationally in the last two games. And I say, who knows? We could have gone one way and won. We could have lost. We definitely won the way I picked, and, uh, and I'm really, really proud of the boys today. They, they deserve the result today. They, they were brilliant. And no more mince pies, little boys. Yeah, you've got Thursday to come now. Wheels, a great way to win the year at home at Adams Park with a win against Bristol Rovers. Yeah, yeah, another hard-fought win. I think like Bristol Rovers are a solid team. Like play, play some good football. Um, but again, I think the the hard work that we put in, the discipline that we showed especially in the second half when we were under caution a little bit, was, was was really good to see and I think that's 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 given us some consistency in the last few games. Your goal changed things up, it was a slow start for Wickham before then? Yeah, I mean I still think we had some good good bits, we were threatening a little bit in the first you know, early stages. Um, I think someone said that the goals, I was actually offside. Um, so it was a good, it was well worked move by them, but I think he was fractionally offside. Um, but even so, we were, they had a lot of pressure in the first 10, 15 minutes, a little bit slow out the blocks maybe. Um, but it was nice to see that we, we turned the corner in, you know, halfway through and we had, we had some good chances ourselves that, that we potentially we should have, we should have come in um, a couple of goals ahead maybe. A good team goal as well for you, uh, you finished off, but a good team, a good move. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we used, used Vokes' strengths, um, he, he did his job as he always, as he always does and um, worked it wide. G, you know, G come in, worked away to Anis, and Anis put in a great ball for me, and just just slid in and finished it off. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I think, yeah, when we play to our strengths, we are we are very effective. We got used to you popping up all over the pitch uh, at various points this season, but you looked like you got a settled position now in this team. Yeah, it was a different. It was a different position against there actually, um, but may not have looked like it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, again, like I'm I'm happy to be valued and to be use in, in any way needed obviously you know everyone wants to play in their, in their favorite position but if I can be out there and contribute to the team and, and to positive results like the last few we've had then then I'm happy. Some tough choices coming up for the gaffer now because players are coming back from injury and great to see Curtis Thompson coming off the bench today as well for the first time this season. Yeah I mean it's as the, sort of the old cliche is it's, it's a good problem to have. Um, it's great that we've got Kurt, but Kurt's such a solid player at this level. He's, he's no one would want to play against him. He's, he's so so dogged in midfield, always wins second balls, and he's, he's just a great presser and, and you know, good on the ball as well. Like he's you know popped up a couple of goals last last year or so, and yeah, so a, a big big player um, to come back and yeah, good, good competition. We can halfway through the season now, 23 games played and in sixth position, albeit with some games in hand with other teams elsewhere. But halfway through the season and in a, probably in a season where it's fair to say we haven't been as our consistent best for a large part of it, that's a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Not, not too long ago, you know, the, there was a little bit of bad feeling about where we were and how things were going. and. And yeah, we had a little bit of a stuttery start, but if you if you saw the the amount of injuries that we had, the amount of disruption we had to our starting eleven, 
that's it's always difficult to get that consistency. Um, so I think it just comes with a little bit more consistency, a little bit more options off the bench as well, a little, little bit more depth in the squad. It's just natural that I think the, the, the results will come um, because squad-wise, I think we're right up there with one of the best in the league. Um, it's just if, you know, as long as we can keep everyone or enough players re relatively fit, then then we're going to have a really good go. I think. And Gareth Fainsworth described you now as one of the leaders in the dressing room, albeit a quieter style of leadership than perhaps what was here before in seasons gone past. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, it's an honour. It's, it's um, an honour and privilege to, to be in that position. Um, I, I I try my best to, to help players on and off the pitch um, with any advice, and like you said, possibly a little bit more, a little bit different. To, you know, a Blooms or a or a Bayo where or, or a Darius in the past, and a little, little bit like quieter, a little bit more um, reserved, a bit more calm, but I like to think that it can be effective in different ways. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it's an honour to be in that position and, and, and to help, you know, especially younger players, like, to, to improve. The problem with Christmas is you win on Boxing Day, but then a couple of days later, on the bus down to Plymouth. I know, yeah, everyone seems to want to watch football this time of year, don't they? Like, <laughs> that's just the problem. Um, but yeah, it's you can't complain. Like it's it's tough on the body, obviously, and tough on the family at times. But um, we're very privileged to do what we do. So and you know, really winning as we especially, it's, it's it's one of the best jobs you can have. So yeah, it's, it's great. Plymouth top of the table, but you've just alluded to Wickham in good form as well. You must be going there full of confidence. Yeah, I mean, we go there, we go there full of confidence, but um, we are the underdogs. We. We, and that's you know sometimes where we thrive, um, and we had a really good result there last year. Um, so they're going to be one. They're going to be fired up for the game, um, and you know they're in, they're in they're in a great place. So you know I think I think if we if we get something out of the game, that's that's really really positive for us. Um, so it's going to be a very very tough tough game. Very very hard to get 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 a win. I think we're capable of getting a win, um, but. Um, yeah, we just keep trying to keep the run going that we're on at the minute. The post-match thoughts of Gareth Fainsworth and David Wheeler. But what about the opposition fans? The away end was fairly full, and here's what they had to say after the game. It's the opposition view. Socrates. We were their better side, and Collins and Coburn caused them all sorts of problems. Wickham are a horrible, cheating, dirty side. But some things never change. We had them on the ropes completely, dominated the opening and should have killed them off. Once they equalised, it was always going to be tough. And once they got the second, they're so good at feigning injury and time-wasting, it was a mountain to climb. With a Vington Pirates. I couldn't watch that every week. I think I'd rather find something else to do. Nothing changes. Definitely three points thrown away. If there was a trophy for gamesmanship, Wigan would be easy champions. Claremont Gas. Adams Park should be renamed Hogwarts. They're that good at the dark arts. Gastafari. Effing Wickham. Horrible club. We're a far better side than them, and it'll be proven come the end of the season. What's that? Our second defeat in the last 13 games... We'll take it on the chain, move on, and Joey will strengthen again with some new gems in January. Play to win. Firstly, Wickham are probably the worst team I've seen all year. <laughs> Secondly, Rath, you were played for a fool. Overall, we should have been out of sight by half time. Wickham are shockingly poor, but effective. Worrell, Sterling, Albion. I thought we were very good first half. 1-1 one, one flat at Wickham. Their centre-halves couldn't cope with Coburn and Collins. Conceding so early in the second half seemed to knock us and we never really recovered. A couple of half chances, but we didn't really create a clear-cut effort after the break. I reckon most of us would have taken 31 points halfway through the season, though, and I have Every faith in Joey to bring in a couple of players to improve us further in January. A blip today, but we're definitely going in the right direction. Dudelbowski. 
no panic here. Yes, it was a disjointed and a frustrating display after taking the lead, but it was our first league defeat since Derby away on October the 29th. Too many were not at the races, and our final ball all day was awful. Coulda, shoulda, had a second before they levelled up, but it wasn't to be. As for Wickham, they're not even streetboys, just a cheating pack of has-beens and never-will-beens. They pocketed the ref early, get their noses in front, and then the diving trainer-on stuff begins. Blatant for all to see, but the officials. Can't wait to smash them in the return game. A beater and his mates goading the away end post-match. Bunch of gremlins. Russ Gas. Wickham are so much more streetwise than us. They put us under a bit of pressure and our porcelain defence just cracked. Our passing was pathetic all game unless it was sideways and backwards along our defence. And we could hardly string two passes together going forward without overhitting it. Clothesline. Exceptionally disappointing. We gifted a very crappy Wickham team three points there. We lost the momentum after a good first half hour and then got sucked into their game. Ultimately, a poor performance and all our own fault. Richard Williams. That was harsh. I don't think Wickham deserved to win. We were by far the better team. But credit to them. They bunged everyone behind the ball from minute one and pinched a couple of goals. Chas Thomas. Oh, that were poor from Rovers. We were given a lesson in how to manage a game. We chose to slow it down when 1-0 up rather than press home our advantage. Hope we learn from it. Many thanks to the Regional Access Department and to Vital Lend for their brilliant work on the opposition view throughout 2022. Daniel Gray is an author who often writes about the beautiful game. I caught up with him just before Christmas to talk about his new book, The Silence of the Stands, Finding the Joy in Football's Lost Season. The book beautifully encapsulates football during the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns, a season when Wickham were in the championship. It's a brilliant book and I fully recommend it. Let's enjoy this chat with Daniel. Uh, Daniel, great to see you. How are you doing, mate? You okay? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, yeah. looking forward to lots more league football after the, now the World Cup's over. <laughs> well, you've done it again. You've churned out another beautiful book on football. Uh, How do you do it? Well, that's very kind. Uh, I suppose it just if it is good, it just comes from the love of the game, really, and wanting, uh, finding it endlessly absorbing and, and being still, despite all its problems, being deeply in love with the game and never tiring of that feeling of seeing a new ground and getting to know it and its people and its accents and things. That never goes away. I think that's a really good point because with social media now and and people like to complain online, don't they? Um, I've often found with this book especially, but with your work, is is a celebration of of almost not the mundanity of it all, but like the rituals, mm. the things like that, the beautiful things of the game. You know, the people you meet, the relationships, the sounds and the smells, and um, there's a real big gap for it, Daniel. I think you're you're onto a winner here. Oh, that's nice. Phil. Well, it's yeah, I love celebrating those things that we all share, actually, no matter who we support and what size of team we have. And and writing it about that that time was especially profound because I realized quickly it wasn't I, I missed the football itself. Of course I did. I, I have those great moments when your team scores like everyone else. But I think what we missed most was the, exactly what you say, waking up that match day, knowing it's match day, going through all the rituals, going to the same places, seeing the same people, pushing the same lucky turnstile, all of those things, you know, the, hugging the person next to you and you barely know the name, that, that is really what we missed as much as the action itself. And that concept of being locked out of our second homes, which is what our grounds are, I think. I think we, we feel ownership over Adams Park, whichever ground it is. We, we have no ownership really beyond paying to be there and yet it's ours. And so that period of being locked out, I really wanted to record it and write about it and, and say how it felt for us. And it forced you down the pyramid as well, didn't it? Because yeah. the, the laws were different and you were able to get to, to some proper proper grassroots football too. Yeah, and that's never a bad thing. I'm someone that tried, I have my season ticket at Middlesbrough still, but on the other, the weeks I'm not there, I'm travelling around anyhow. So that that's where the love is. Whenever you need rejuvenating, if you are tired, 
with football, you just go down a few divisions and your love's back by five past three, or even before that, just when you look at the pie stand, it comes straight back to you. So that was great to, to do that again and, and get to Southport, working to Kendall, all of these. You'll Anyone who in your part of the world, in Buckinghamshire elsewhere, who gets the book will think, oh, you got as far south as Southport. I did plan to get to the south, <laughs> but yeah. You know, uh, the different restrictions changed, things moved on, new lockdowns came, and and so I never did. But I mean, as a as a writer that likes to travel and write about different grounds, that's good because it means that I can still do my book about things south of Southport at some stage. Though let's hope not in a pandemic, of course. Geographically, it doesn't matter because the things that leapt out the page for me were, you know, it's it's the sizzle of the onions, uh, the smell of yeah. the ground the tinny sound of the music as you approach the first sight of the floodlights. These are all magical things. That doesn't happen if you're at Torquay, if you're down in Essex, yeah, if you're right. up in the northeast or the northwest. They, they're all the same, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And and that that universality on that level is exactly what we missed. And the smells are what we missed. The sounds are what we missed. And and yeah, that that's that goes beyond even these borders. I've been to my sister lives in Prague, and I was a couple of lower division games around around there this this year. And I just sat there thinking, we you know the language barrier is there, but we're doing exactly the same things. And that's that's so comforting in this fragmented world we live in. I think it's one of the early chapters. Is there's a beautiful moment where everyone's back i think it's the first time they've been back together i can't remember the club it may have been lancaster they lose at home and then it was the ability for them to complain about a defeat at home um was a wonderful thing and i think that would really echo with a lot of, of football fans and wickham fans as well yeah all that waiting all those things we went through all that romanticism what it'll be like when we're back and they've lost one game and he's saying that's it our season's over i don't know what's gone wrong and all this <laughs> stuff and in some ways though you know there were those brilliant moments of joy people smiling pushing the turnstiles hearing it all again but as important were the moans and the chance to you know berate the referee again they were lovely sounds as well because i just thought that's it that's we were all striving for that word normality weren't we that was you know that's what we kept going on about and to hear a referee barracked or someone just going oh writing off a season after two home games is is, is just a majestically football thing isn't it <laughs> it's kind of unique to our wonderful sport um what do you think we've learned as a, as a sport and as fans you know we've had our beloved football taken away from us now it's back mm. have you noticed anything different now we're back is has anything changed or have we all just gone straight back into that older those older habits? I think by now we're about normal and there's nothing wrong with that. That's again the comforting thing. But in that first season back, I definitely felt everything was more raw and louder and that general raucous sense almost, you know, that first game back almost had the feel of your first game ever. Everything was brighter and and, and the smells were, were greater and more intense. And I felt early on there was a honeymoon period where results didn't matter that much. We were just happy to be there. And there was a bit of a difference in, a bit of a change in the relationship between the players and the fans. I think we all realised how much we needed each other for a long time. You know, players mentioned it again and again that playing in front of no one was just... They might as well be playing in the park, really. And so there was a rebalancing for a while. But I think, all in all, we're probably back to our usual selves, aren't we? <laughs> uh, you did get into Seabarrow. You were one of the, on. There's a couple of games, mm. weren't there? When when a very very small group of fans were able yeah. to get in, um, they were weird experiences, weren't they? Absolutely. A thousand fans. It was Wednesday night and you could bid for a ticket if you had a season ticket. And, you know, I can still see that seating map in my mind. They were just disappearing. I was clicking away, just getting more and more frustrated. And I got one, the, the golden ticket, the Charlie Bucket feeling. And, <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't live on Teesside now. So just to be back on Teesside was a wonderful thing anyhow. And seeing the those places that you, you associate with, with match day. But very quickly, the difference of it hit me because I can't drive, but people have been encouraged to drive to the game. So I was the only one walking that, that long route that it, that it is to the riverside and just picturing the ghosts of match day and the imagining the sizzling onions because there were none and and then from then on yeah the, the surrealism of as encapsulated by the fact that they actually had hot hot water in the gents toilet taps which, which has been an improvement on usual <laughs> and then sitting apart but still you know the subtitle of the silence of the stands is finding the joy in football's lost season and the joy that day was the about five to three the realization that we were allowed to sing you know, masks on, but allowed to sing in it. Just a thousand people, but the acoustics made it that it could, it made it an almighty noise. And you know, we'd missed singing. That's one of those things as well that you take for granted is that the especially you know, it's when else do you get together with hundreds or thousands of other fellas and women and just sing? 
<laughs> you don't. And so the very act of singing we'd missed, and I hadn't really thought about that that much. But be it, you know, we're in we're in these ragtag choirs, aren't we? And <laughs> they don't sound beautiful on a musical level. But that day, hearing it go across, and then when Borough equalised, the that was a proper celebration, albeit people meters apart <laughs> sat even family sat apart that was the rule as well so you just look back now and you can't really believe it happened which is one reason I documented it I didn't I didn't know we wouldn't believe it happened but I'm glad I have because I look even I look at the book again and phrases the rule of six and all of these things the the great um scotch egg debate <laughs> I think did that happen did it happen so I'm glad it's it's in ink and I'm not going mad it did well, for Wickham fans, we have the added, did it happen? Because it was our one season in our club's history in the championship, which was yeah. heartbreaking for our fans. Yeah. So we're we're doing our very best to get back up there so fans can come. Great, great win at, absolutely. And great win at Borough as well, as far as I remember. Final day of the season, yeah. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. We were, It was almost, it was too late for us in the end. But um, yeah. uh, it was a great tick-off for me. I mean, I was very fortunate enough to be able to go and cover the games. So I was able to go to the vast majority of the games. But, um, but yeah, a great venue for Wickham to play at and win at. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'd love you to come back. You've been a bit. The fans have been robbed there, and I, you deserve that's that's a sort of a, a justice that needs to be righted for you to enjoy those for the fans all to enjoy those different away days. That's that's when you go. That's the thing when you're going down or up. You look at what my away days next year might be, don't mm. you? As much as anything, and you deserve that. There's so much. The word ghost comes up a lot when I think of that season and a robbery and that's a robbery in itself. And some of the games I went to don't exist anymore. The goals I saw don't exist anymore because the leagues were then expunged. But I, that nothing is more COVID era than that, really. <laughs> yeah. I just want to bring you back to a point you made about the, the singing in the communal element. Um, I think one of the things that we've really learned about the pandemic and football is that football clubs are absolutely vital to their communities because they are mm -hmm. central to them, their hubs. And I think they're, if you take the football club out of a town, where are we all going to meet? This random mixture of people, rich people, poor people, people in the middle of the road, people with different political opinions, all coming together under the, yeah. under the one common cause. I think football is so powerful for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it feels like the last or one of the last beacons like that, really. Um, the Like I used that word fragmented earlier on, and it feels a difficult time to live through. And so when you've got that in your life, it's it's more valuable than ever, I think. And especially in smaller places, especially in towns. And, and that was felt very strongly. And football clubs themselves were beacons during COVID, doing great community things. And whether it was food banks, you know, I love I live up in Scotland and I just think of a little club like Stenhouse. They're on a mobile library. They changed the away dressing room into a, a library and took books out to people who weren't able to get things to read at that. Just little things like that. That is your football club at the centre of its community in that way as well. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, where'd you get the inspiration from? Are you already thinking about your next book? Where's it gonna when's it gonna happen? I, I always am, yeah. I always have a few ideas written down and then the process takes a while getting a book deal and all of the rest of that. But yeah, I like to try and alternate. So maybe do a non-football book next and then go back to football because I think you need to take a, a step back and keep that love alive if, if you just keep writing and writing you might write yourself out of it in some ways but yeah I'll still be going to matches and writing things down um, that might may end up in, in a book at some stage well hopefully we can come and see you with Wickham Wanderers up at the up yeah, at the absolutely. Riverside uh, in the not too distant future that'll be wonderful yeah. and uh, I might write a book about that if it happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite right absolutely and I really do hope that happens and likewise me and the away end at Adams Park about time <laughs> yes we're always welcome down here Daniel it's a great book and uh, I heartily recommend it to any Wickham Wanderers fans who are, are listening to this or any non-Wickham fans who, who've, who've stumbled across this podcast uh, but yeah it's a wonderful read and it has taken me back to a very odd part of my life but, um, but I think one that you've documented superbly thanks very much and thanks for having me on Falcons has got to do this he hasn't done it and Wickham Wanderers in their first season in league football standard London five-a-sides and don't tell them that it doesn't mean a thing. Right, Wanderers TV, I've got my goalkeeping gloves on, which can only mean one thing. We're speaking to an ex-keeper and this is one I've been very excited about and I know a lot of our fans are very excited to see Mr Chuck Martini. Chuck, how are you? Fantastic. Hello, Wickham fans of cheer boys. Go on. Chuck, first question. Back when I was a kid, you were Chuck Musadick. Now you're Chuck Martini. What's in the name? Well, my, I, I adopted my stepfather's name, um, uh, Long Rust, uh, obviously God rest his soul, 
but he's the one that raised me and I felt all this time when I was playing, um, he was the father figure that I had and I decided to just add it on. It was Chuck Musadek Martini still. So I ended up taking it. Just a short story, that's all. Okay, well, Chuck Martini is a fabulous name as well, as was your as was Musa Dick. So uh, back in Wickham Ed, so far, our fans are a bit younger than me, uh, won't remember your playing times. It was a great time for the club. Martin O'Neill, we just moved to Adams Park uh, and you were part of the squad uh, as the backup goalkeeper to Paul Hyde initially. And we'll talk about the London Fiverr sides in a bit, but what a great time to be around Adams Park. Of course, yes. I actually, well, I joined the club, I think, I signed, uh, the gaffer signed me from uh, Wimbledon. Um, he brought me in the first season because I played quite a few games before Paul Hyde came in, if you remember, in the conference days. Um, so I played I played around 30 games, I think, in, in the conference. I came on loan um, the, the season that we opened Adams Park. And I remember also playing against Nottingham Forest because uh, I think he brought Brian Clough down to, mm. um, played Nottingham Forest, we played Southampton. We had quite a few great, pre-season friendlies that season. Um, and John Granville was still the goalkeeper at the time, the first choice keeper at the time. So I think it was the following season that uh, the gaffer signed Heidi as well. And it was uh, obviously from then on, it was me and Heidi uh, challenging for that number one spot. Now, Steve Brown has, has been in touch and he knew that this was happening, this chat today. He has a few questions for you. He said the first one was, who's the better goalkeeper in Chuck's opinion, you or Paul Hyde? He knows the answer. Tell him who did he think. He knows the answer. He knows, he knows the answer. Of course I was. I was always the best goalkeeper. Martin O'Neill's best ex- expression of me is after, after games, he'll give it, if you were two inches taller, pal, you'd be playing, tipping them over at Anfield. How can I get two inches taller? <laughs> what was it like being in that squad with Martin O'Neill? His book's out at the moment. The chapters on Wickham are a great read. What was it like to be in that dressing room with him and at the training ground regularly? Uh, listen, he's a fantastic man-manager. I loved every... I, I actually saw him as a father figure, to be fair, because I was still young. I was a young lad at the time. Um, uh, a motivator extraordinaire. Um, you really wanted to play for him. Uh, you, He had you... Uh, wanting to go through brick walls for him, to be fair. And I think he he created an environment of professionalism. He created a, a winning environment. Um, he was the hardest man to be around if we had lost the match. And definitely if I had made a cock up in any of the games, he definitely was a hard man to, to sort of actually look in the eye after that. But, um, you know, I think I, I recall one night we were away to... Um, you get it. It was Fisher Athletic, Fisher, and uh, it was I think uh, it was my second game for the first team, and I remember him at half time because I was sh- trying to show off. I was coming trying to catch balls one handed and all this, and then he had me in the dressing room and he had me by the neck and said, "Listen, this is a man's game. Grow <laughs> up." And I will, and I think Matt Crossley, if Matt Crossley and all these guys uh, are watching this, they'll probably. Uh, Pee themselves laughing about it because I'm sure they'll remember it. <laughs> There's so many great Martin O'Neill stories as well, but um, we got to talk about the London Fiver sides because I mean that was an amazing achievement for Wickham just to win it once, but then to win it again and uh, play at a tournament both times, weren't you? Yeah, well, it's my claim to fame, I guess. I think it was my <laughs> claim to fame at Wickham. So I used to say I used to tell like Africa, I wasn't, I was sitting on the bench most of the time, and then. We were traveling all to different parts of uh, England playing um, our league matches. And every time we turned up to a ground, I was recognized and the rest of the lads weren't because obviously it was his sports. <laughs> that was his night. There'll never be another night like that. He could play to his 1,010 and he'll never have another night like that. And you know the funny thing about it, despite the abuse that I can give to him verbally and occasionally physically when he annoys me, and the amount of uh, stick that he can take among the players, everyone, everyone was absolutely delighted for him, especially for him. In fact, so much so that his mate, Hacky, he reckoned, he was actually crying for him. He was so, so pleased. And it was a great night. And honestly, for the first time, I was so pleased for him. It couldn't actually have happened to a nuglier geek. <laughs> so it was my claim to fame. And uh, no, totally... I remembered it like it was yesterday. Um, the lads, we had a great fun with it. We, to be fair, we were entitled to be good at it because 
it's all we did at training. You know, Gaffer just likes <laughs> to play five sides. And, you know, um, I used to also um, do quite well in training. I think that's the reason why he, he gave me another head of Hyde at the time. Uh, penalty shootouts were key in that tournament. And uh, you were central to those as well. Yeah, no, uh, you know, as I said, uh, it, for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a valuable memory that I cherish with me for the rest of my days. Um, you know, I hold Wickham fond in my heart. It's been a great club for me. I, I spent almost six, seven seasons there. So uh, for me, it was great. And in all honesty, you know, it's, it stood me for good stead because after, after leaving Wickham, I went, I went to Barnet for the, for the season. Ray Clements took me on uh, to replace Mike Taylor. I then, uh, after six months there, uh, Ray left and then I had the option to go to the United States. And then I ended up going and joining uh, Dallas. So for me, at that time, it was, uh, I, I enjoyed my life, you know, playing football. It was all I wanted to do. Um, I had the opportunity again, by after playing for Dallas, Leicester was out on tour and um, I, I spoke to Steve Guppy uh, who was obviously taken by the gaffer there. Uh, and the gaffer said, yeah, bring him down. We'll have a laugh with him. Uh, I went there for a week. I ended up staying two years. So he ended up taking me on for the for those two seasons. I went alone to every single Tom, Dick and Harry. But I totally enjoyed myself. It was uh, I was blessed to, to have played football professionally. And to be fair, Martin O'Neill will always be my mentor. And, uh, a very... Uh, special place in my heart for him. Well, Although, speaks, well, you know, I did, I, did, I, did do take, I did take the mick out of him a few times. Well, that, that leads me on perfectly to another Steve Brown question was, can he still do your impression of the gaffer? Get the bloody ball! Well, it's like he's here in the room right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, I, I, I can't wait until I get back home. You know, it's got to be a reunion with me and all the lads. Absolutely. I'm sure they'd love to see you as well, as as would a lot of the Wickham fans. It's incredible that, you know, for a lot of the time you were on the bench, but I think because of that fives win and also your character around the place, uh, you're seen as a, as a massive cult figure at Wickham Wanderers. Uh, I'd like to believe I had a good rapport with all the lads, with all the fans. I think, um, you know, uh, the gaffer, to be quite honest, we had this strange um, relationship you know, every time I tried to get away, he never let me go. So I, I ended up staying. And uh, my time at Wickham was such a success. It was very difficult to leave Wickham because we was always on the way up. You know, we, we went through the leagues and it was it was a great time. It was a great time at the club. And, you know, uh, definitely cherish those memories. The playoff final against Preston North End. Uh, our current manager, Gareth Fainsworth, played for Preston that day. David Moyes in the Preston team as well. Uh, Paul Hyde it, it subsequently came out afterwards, was sick in the week leading up to that. And there must have been a real possibility of you playing at Wembley. Welcome to Ringing the Blues on the morning of the playoff final day, where I can exclusively reveal that Paul Hyde has not trained for the past week owing to a viral infection. But Martin O'Neill has confirmed Hyde will play in a gamble to field his strongest team. This is Alan Hutchinson for Ringing the Blues. Wembley is certainly always going to have a special uh, meaning for you anyway, isn't it? Well, yeah, after the five-a-sides, yeah, I was trying to tease the boys and Heidi about it just earlier on, and the coach was driving past um, Wembley Arena, and I turned around and said to, to Heidi, you know, do you remember that? So, um, with a bit of luck, I hope he plays the same. I'm not, I'm not begrudging him anything. Um, I hope everything goes well for us today and we go up. And after this, it could be Morocco in the World Cup? Well, if I get on, Alan, if I get on at some stage in the game, who knows? I mean, I've been I've been named in probable sides, in probable squads, like for the World Cup. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't know. So um, I believe the World Cup squad gets named next week. And um, if I do play today and somehow come on and do exactly what I did at Wembley Arena, who knows, I would be there. Just imagine that, Chuck Rusevic in the Moroccan team against Brazil without having played the Wigan Wanderers. I know, Gaff will probably shoot himself. <laughs> I hope he does anyway. There was, um, I recall, uh, uh, two days before the, before the game, uh, I think we all went, uh, we were staying at um, hotel, was it, the Gaffer takes us to normally. Uh, Burnham uh, Beaches. Burnham Beaches, where England used to stay. 
I recall two days before the, we went there two days before the, the, the actual match and he's come to me, he's called me to, to his room and I sat down and he, he's gone, now Chuck, you might just be playing in this match. So I was like, yeah, fine, no problem, I'd love to. Um, and obviously it didn't materialise, he, he stuck with Heidi and whether it was the right choice or not, I felt... You know, uh, Heidi was a little bit weak, but uh, he stuck with him, and um, we—the result mattered in the end. It wasn't how the performance was, but you know, we got up and uh, was uh, happy to be part of the following season, and uh, we were challenging for a different title the, the following year, obviously a, a league higher. What was it like being on on the bench the whole time for that for that league uh, campaign well, as well? I think that's the reason why I became a good manager because I sat with him on the bench so long, so. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew exactly what minute he was going to bring on certain players. I knew how we were going to change our shape. I knew exactly what he was going to do before he even done it. Uh, I, I judged it from the bench half of the time, so I knew exactly what he was doing. So what? let's bring it up to date now. So you're still in football? What are you up to and, and where in the world? Yeah, I'm still in football. Um, after I finished uh, playing, obviously after the, the Leicester time, I went and played for Kings Lynn. Um, and then... Um, I retired from, I had a, a horrible injury at Sutton. I went to Sutton United and then I had a horrible knee injury. I went into management. I managed Godalming Town, uh, which I'd done very well with. Uh, and then I took over Walton and Hersham. Uh, I was there for about seven seasons. And then the, the enticement of coming to the Arabian Gulf and uh, settling in here and running a football academy here uh, was too, uh, too good to turn down. Um, I have to say, I think the lads know me. Uh, it was the money that, that that brought me here. And I thought I'd only be here for a year, to be fair. And then nine years later, long and behold, I'm here. And my wife and my three children are, are fantastically happy here. So it is home now. I do go back home every year uh, to, to England. I go back in the summers. And um, uh, no, it's been, it's been fantastic. We run a, an academy. It's a... Uh, Glad to say also that within that academy, we've managed to develop one goalkeeper that's gone on to play for FC Utrecht, which is in the, uh, uh, the Dutch uh, Premier League. Uh, we've had three players that have gone on to play. One, one actually went to Aston Villa and two have gone on now to play for Genoa. So it's been great. We've been, we've got, uh, we start obviously from uh, five-year-olds all the way up to our under-21. So yeah, it's been great. Um, I own. I'm glad to say that I own uh, all of them now. I own uh, the academy in Oman and academy in Qatar and academy in Thailand. Any good youngsters you can send Wickham Wanderers way? Well, this is this is what I've done. I've I've, I've, um, I've linked with um, uh, Andrew Impey, who's a good mate of mine from from my Leicester days. Um, uh, I, I've, he's heavily involved at QPR, so we normally tend to send some of our good players there. Now, funny enough, Gareth Ainsworth is a good mate of mine as well because when he was at Wimbledon, I was at Wimbledon at the same time. So I'm hoping to, when I get back into uh, England this uh, this summer, I would like to make a, a formal contact with Gareth and um, hopefully start sending some of our players across. Just where, If they're good enough, fantastic. If they're not, then it'll just be a worthwhile experience for the lads to go and uh, experience what Wickham's all about. But hopefully we do have some gems that uh, maybe Wickham can tap into. Fantastic. Uh, let's go back to the 90s then. I mean, there's some wonderful characters in that squad as well. Is there any particular stories that stand out from that time? There must be loads. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, well, me and Dave Carroll were driving partners. So, um, you know, for someone that was in the first team and a, main, a major star all the time, he always drove the, the worst cars possible. So half <laughs> of the time, you know, I never knew whether the car was going to get us to the, to the training or to the games in time. I recall once we run out. I don't know whether we run out. But he was a betting man as well. So half of the time, the petrol tank was on near enough empty. Um, <laughs> so there was one time we were driving to, I think it was to a game, and the car stopped. So, you know, we, we're rushing to the game. I'm, I'm pushing the car from behind, and he's trying to get it started. And there's fans driving past us thinking, what's going on here? My time at Wickham was... Filled with uh, great memories. Um, Jason Cousins, obviously, Terry Evans, uh, fantastic characters. You know, I, I was uh, realistically Brownie as well. Um, Tony Hemmings, 
Um, so uh, the, the list goes on. And obviously Hakan Hayretin as well, my, my mate Hakan, who came, who joined us from Barnet. And me and him became great mates as well. Um, so, no, I think, I think uh, you know, my time at Wickham will always live in my memories. And I, I'm sure uh, a lot of the, the players that I played with will always uh, say that I was uh, a colourful character in the dressing room and they loved having me around. Absolutely. Well, Chuck, it's great to have you on Wanderers TV. Like I said, I'm sat in the gaffer's office now and there's a big Wickham montage and you're in it. And that's fantastic. Fantastic. I love it. Love it. Uh, and in all honesty, you know, as I said, I have to come and visit forever Wickham. You know, for me, it's it was a, a great learning curve. And, you know, the gaffer was always a mentor. Gups, um, who I have to thank, obviously, I'm going to have to say, Thanks, Gut, for keeping me for keeping me in your house for the two seasons that I spent there at Leicester City, and I didn't pay him a single penny. But rightfully so, <laughs> he was making about forty or 40, 50 grand a week. So you know, it, it only makes sense. <laughs> Chuck, it's been a real pleasure, and uh, we'll see you when you come over next summer. Come down to Adams Park, mate. I'll put the kettle on. Fantastic, Phil. Cheers, pal. <laughs> and thanks for remembering me. Obviously, it means a lot to me and uh, to be liked by all the fans. And here's Chuck in action at Wembley Arena for the Chairboys. So here we go. The shootout will decide it. It's Marvin Johnson first for Luton Town. Remember, he's got five seconds to get that ball into the net. And Chuck Rusadik, who won the Man of the Tournament Award last year for his heroics in these shootouts, does it again. I think I make that eight out of nine times that he's managed to foil the opponent tonight in these shootout situations. Well, he's so quick off his line, spreads himself so well there. It just shuts down the goal, and all of a sudden the goal disappears when he when he gets it. Let's have a look, see what Carroll can do. He can score to give Wickham the championship again. Well, it's an extraordinary story. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome onto the pitch the defending champions. They've done it again. Wickham Wanderers. The evening standard five-a-side trophy and £10,000 presented by Brian Alexander from the London Evening Standard. There it is. The champions have done it again. Also this evening, the runners-up, Charlton and Barnet and Wimbledon will all collect £750 as well. Millwall and QPR will also get some money as well. £3,000 each. It's big money here tonight. Well done to Wickham Wanderers and their crowd have been an absolute credit to them as well tonight. Martin O'Neill must be absolutely delighted. Ah, the memories. Great to speak to Chuck. And if you want to see that interview with all the clips of the five sides, a bit of Martin O'Neill and some Wembley magic too, then that's on Wanderers TV. Many thanks for listening today. Thanks to Daniel Gray as well. And if you love this podcast, why not leave it a lovely review and rating on wherever you get your podcast from. See you next year. Come on, you blues.